Here we are now, with episode number four in our series, The Astonishing, The Astonishing, 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 for the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favorite episode as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, this episode needs to come with a warning. It needs to come with a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is that advice given here is not professional advice. The things we discuss here is not professional discussion. It's open discussion. It's layman's discussions. It's layman's understandings. And the warning is that if you are listening along, I am assuming that you are psychologically stable. I'm assuming that you are emotionally stable. So, allow me to give a very strong warning for what should really go for all my episodes, but for particularly what we're speaking here today, that if you are depressed, you are unstable, you have self-esteem issues, then you need to seek professional advice. You need to seek help with the correct channels. This is not a substitute for working things out in the correct way that they can be worked out, in the right way for them to be worked out. So here, these conversations are for entertainment, for layman's understandings, and for people who actually are strong enough to go deeper into certain things. And those... Things require a grounding. They require a degree of knowledge already about yourself, self-knowledge. So ask yourself now if you are psychologically stable. Ask yourself if you're emotionally stable. Ask yourself if you're ready to go into some quite possibly difficult things. If you're strong enough to go into some difficult things, to explore the dark side of the human condition. Now, with that warning aside, we proceed into today's insight, today's astonishing thing, something that is astonishing. And I'm sure you can guess that it's not something very pretty. It's not something very nice. And there's a reason we go into this. There's a reason for this, which will become apparent as we keep discussing it. And the truth is that it's astonishing how much pain there is. It's astonishing how much hurt there is. And in so many ways, there's disease and there's suffering and there's poverty. There's all those sorts of sort of far-off pains. But when I think about pain, when I talk about pain, I really mean more the personal, emotional and psychological pain. And it's astonishing how much it hurts. It's astonishing how much there is. And really, the whole game is to come out of that pain. If only we could, if only we would, if only we had the way, if we knew the way to come out of our own suffering. And we can use the words suffering and pain interchangeably here. 
there are slight differences. But really when I say pain, I mean psychological and emotional suffering. And it depends on where you're at on what you need to work with. Because the other side of, or another component of how much a pain, how much pain there is and how astonishing it is, is how many problems you have. And it might not be apparent to you. It might be at only certain times in life when you've got a sense of this. And actually, there's something that's trying to reveal itself to you, if you can get a sense of this. There's something that you can find and work with, if you can go into this voluntarily. And there is a big difference between people who (laughs) are feeling like they have a lot of problems, and someone who has a lot of problems but doesn't really know it. They're in different places, those two people. So if you're in the former category and you're thinking, yes, I do have a lot of problems, well, that's what we're here to work on. That's what we're here to understand. And it might be that you don't even realize how many problems you have, even feeling overwhelmed by them might be that you don't realize how deep they run and how intense they are and how complicated they are and how much it's going to take to overcome them. And I don't mean to paint a bleak picture. I don't mean to put you down because there is a way out of this. There is a way through. And if you're in the latter category... You might say, well, I don't feel I have really that many problems. I think generally life is pretty okay. Things are going well. Well, in that case, you can actually go and look at the tangles that you can't see. And it's a strange thing to start working on yourself and then to see that you've got problems. And you think, oh, now I'm working on myself. All of a sudden I've got problems. I didn't have these problems before when I wasn't working on myself. It must be that introspection is just causing the problems. And of course, that's not the case. It's just a matter that you're seeing things more. So keep that in mind. That's a funny trick to fall into. I've talked about it before and I'll talk about it again. But that's a tricky one. And a further component of how much pain there is, is how impossible problems seem to resolve. And that's really what a problem is. A problem is not that something is wrong, it's that there's something wrong and it can't be fixed. And the phrase, no problem, means there is a problem, but we can deal with it. We can fix it. No problem. Someone comes with you, comes at you with a problem and you say, no problem. It means you see exactly what's going on. You understand exactly what they are saying the problem is. And you can also see a way out of it. You can also see how it gets fixed. Whereas if you've got a problem... Well, then you've got a problem and you don't know how to fix it. You've got a problem and you can't see a way out of it. And that is what's astonishing about pain. That is what is astonishing about suffering. It's that there seems to be no way out. It is unending. It is enduring. It is gargantuan. It is big. It is complicated. And problems just seem impossible. And it's a really big problem when someone comes to you and says, I've got a solution to your problem, and you don't believe them. 
when you can't even sense that there could be a solution to your problems. Now, that is a very big problem. That is possibly the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the impossible problem. And how acute it is, is, well, how it is affecting you. It's how it's affecting your feelings and your thoughts. And another way into this is how complex the world's problems are. Now, we all have this thing within us, which is a thing we say about how the world is. How do you say the world is? What's happening in the world? And you get this picture from, well, your media, your news, your information, what your friends tell you, what everyone's talking about. And for so often, in so many times, in so many places, it seems that, well, there are a lot of problems in the world. There is a lot going on that can't be fixed because it's complicated, because there is no solution, because it's unending. And how you feel about that depends on, well, your relationship with that perspective. Depends on how that information that you're being fed amalgamates into your being. How it changes your feelings. What sort of emotional response do you get from the evening news? What do you say about the story you're fed of the evening news? And you could say, well, I don't watch the mainstream media. I watch this. I watch the real stuff. And that's just another version of the same game. You might say, oh, I don't watch media at all. Well, you still have conversations with people. You still hear about things. And in fact, cutting off from mainstream media and cutting off from the news is actually a logical thing. It's a logical step to take when you realize this. And it's really what many people are trying to get at when they say the news is fake. Or don't trust what you're told in the mainstream. It's not exactly that you shouldn't trust it. It's not exactly that there's a conspiracy out there. But it's just that you want to be more nuanced with how you're creating this picture of the world. Because we all have a picture of the world. We all have this thing within us that we say, well, the world is this. The world is one big fat problem. Might be one of them. But this is just back and forth that needs to be brought into more awareness. So the cutting off from mainstream media is just, well, it's one step. And it's a good step. And it's one to experiment with. Because it does come back to the question, how is your perspective being shaped? How are your feelings and thoughts relating to each other? And that's not to say that there aren't real problems in this world. There are real problems. And they are quite big. There's really no word to express how many problems the world has. And beyond that, if we can drill further into this amalgamating of your perspective, we have, well, how you feel. It's how things affect you. And pain and suffering is a feeling, essentially. It's what it comes back to. When you are in pain, when you are suffering, it's the feeling that counts. And it's the feeling that is the astonishing thing. You can say, 
Or how do we work with feelings? I can say how do feelings affect thoughts? And we can say, well, why aren't we just trying to get to the good feelings? Isn't that all how it works? Isn't that all we want? We just want good feelings and no bad feelings? And the answer is, well, that's not possible. Well, not exactly. Because the trick is to feel more. The trick is to be open to how things are impressing upon your being experientially. And if you're an empath, well, then you feel the world's pain very deeply. And for these big visionaries, these people who have these big visions and these, how, how, do, we say, how do we say, crusades for fixing the world or saving the world, well, they feel very strongly. It's their feeling and their experience of empathizing with the globe that is driving them. And that's a very deep motivation. And maybe a little bit more down to earth, we can say that the same thing happens when you feel your own pain. And that becomes your own motivation. You say, oh, I really feel bad and I really want to get out of this. I really want to transform that into a new mindset. And that's going to be the propellant of my work, which is going to get me up and out of this. And I'm going to get going and I'm going to turn my suffering, my pain, my dark feelings into a motivation. I just need to pick myself up and get going. And how do I get motivated? This sort of attitude. That's the same thing. That's the same thing as empathizing with the world. You're empathizing with yourself. Now, the trick to feeling more is to take on the pleasant, uh, sorry, not the pleasant, the acute feelings. And it's a lot easier to take on an acute feeling, which is unpleasant, rather than acute an acute feeling, which is pleasant. And I'm talking about a scenario where you're sitting with someone, you're in the same room with them, and you're talking with them. You're having a conversation with them. So we're leaving sex aside. That can be a pleasurable thing that you can work with separately to this. Here we're talking about pain and empathy. So sex is a different conversation. So here's the scenario. You're sitting with someone and you're talking with them. And your objective is to feel more, to go deeper into your empathy. And the purposes of doing that are not to save the world, not to one day be able to empathize with the world and then create this vision and then fix all the world's problems. Don't tell yourself any of that. There's nothing there that you need to t tell yourself. It doesn't help. The reason you do it is so that you can feel more alive. It's so that you can feel more and therefore feel more alive. So you're sitting with this person, you're talking with them, and you want to feel very much deeply what they are feeling. Now, the trick there is to get them to start feeling or talking about something very acute. Now, you can get them to talk about a pleasurable memory or experience that they've had, or you can get them to have the same sort of thing, talking, recollecting, sharing, feeling, a negative experience. Now, normally, when we go through our conversations, we say, okay, well, just tell me about the good stuff. Can you just tell me about the good stuff? Don't be such a bore. Don't tell me about the painful stuff. Spare me the details. That's what my father used to say when he was sick. He'd say, I'll spare you the details by not telling you about this. Which essentially means that 
I've had this terrible experience and I'm not going to talk about it because as I talk about it, I know you're going to feel more of it and you're going to have a, a little bit of a, 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 a similar experience as we talk about it. And I don't know if he could have explained it quite that clearly, if he would have understand it, understood it as explicitly as that. Probably not. But here's the scenario. Let's come back to this scenario, which is that you're sitting with someone, you're getting them to explain something, and it's an acute feeling, and it's a negative feeling. It's pain, something painful. It's a suffering. And instead of saying, Okay, I want to resist this. No, stop talking. I don't want to hear about your problems. No, don't don't dump on me. Don't unload on me. No, that's a that's a disgusting story or anything like that. You say, "Okay, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to take this on. I'm really going to feel it." And I'm even going to encourage that person to go into it. And you can even explain this to them. You can even explain that this is what we're happening. And essentially, that's the start of therapy. When you're having this thing outside of the conversation, which is inflict uh, not inflicting, but dictating the nature of the conversation. It's not a natural conversation as in we both turn up and we see what happens. We just see what we're saying. No, we're actually saying, okay, we're coming into a conversation now. Let's make this a conversation topic. Let's pick a conversation topic for today and I'll listen to you and I want you to really articulate it clearly. And the conversation topic is pain. It's suffering. Tell me about your darkness. And sit there and listen and take it on, really take it in and encourage them into it. And if they're any good at sharing themselves, they will go into it and they'll start to feel what they're feeling in their darkness, the component of them, which is their suffering, will come forward. And as you listen, as you take it in, you will also start to feel it. And there'll be a shared understanding there. And you will be astonished at how much pain there is. If you're really open to that person, you'll be astonished at how much it hurts. How much has gone wrong for that person. How impossible their problems have seemed to them at certain times in their lives. And they've really struggled with it. They've really felt like they have been in these balls of anguish and tangles and mess and take it on you take this in and what you're doing by volunteering to take this on is opening your capacity to feel you're opening your ability to take things in and it's essential for becoming more alive, for being more alive. Because you'll notice that something will happen if you do this correctly, if you really follow this process. What will happen is the conversation will end and then there will be this overcorrection and you'll feel really good. And if someone is really opened themselves and you've really taken them on there's this huge bounce back it's the opposite effect afterwards and you don't know when it will come you don't know how it will come it will be very different because positive feelings feel very different to negative feelings pleasure is very different to pain at least for what we're talking about here for what we're describing about here now in other conversations pleasure pleasure and pain uh, next to each other. But from what we're saying here, from what I'm describing here, they are separate. They're, they're different and they're not even opposite. Don't think of them as opposites. It's more of a bounce back. It's more of a bounce into something new. So you've listened to them talk about their suffering 
and that's something new. And then afterwards, the bounce back comes and then you've realized something about this conversation that you've had. And that will be the pleasure. And that will be the new forming in your relationship. And it will be pleasurable. It will be this glorious thing. It will be this beautiful thing. It will just be incredible. You'll think, wow, I can't understand how close we are. I can't understand. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. Now, in many therapy situations, you'd say, well, isn't this what's happening in therapy and why doesn't therapy work? You'd say, well, what you're saying, Doster, is that this is therapy and it does work. So why is it that therapy doesn't really seem to actually work? And the answer there is that, well, there are times when the therapist isn't actually receiving They're not actually taking the pain on. They're actually resisting it. And they might be saying the words, tell me more, tell me more. But dare I say, energetically or emotionally or spiritually, they're not actually open. And neither the patient nor the therapist can explain this because they don't know it, but they can sense it energetically because there, between them, the energy isn't flowing. And that means that you've got this therapist saying, yes, tell me more, tell me more, and yet they're resisting it. So there's a contradiction, there's a clustering, there's a clenching within them. And it's blocking the person who's sharing their suffering. And that can be disastrous because then you've got someone sharing their suffering, it's going out, and they see that it's not going in. They say that they're not understanding. And yet the therapist is saying, oh, yes, keep going, keep going. And they're trying and they're trying. And then they get to the end and they feel like, oh, I'm still alone. I've poured out all my pain. I've poured out all my suffering. And it hasn't gone anywhere. It's still with me. And then it's brought me to, it's brought it all to the surface and it's right here in front of me and I am still alone and it's, and this therapist has also demonstrated that my sharing doesn't bring me any closer to anyone else. So I'm not going to do that again. Don't let me try that. Hell no. I don't want all this stuff brought to the surface, not in front of someone. And this is a recipe for disaster. This is, this is an it's it's a problem. It's a serious problem. And it really does ruin things. And it's where therapy just messes up its patients in the worst way. It should be criminal. It should be outlawed. There should be a law that says no Therapy is to be done without compassion. Imagine a world where we could do that. Imagine a world where that actually would work. Imagine if it actually worked like that. But no, it doesn't work like that. Because not all therapists understand this. And less few patients even understand this. And sometimes it's not always easy to explain such things. Sometimes the knowledge is there, but the knowledge can't come out because of the complexes of the relationship. And it goes on further. This is just the tip of the ta- this is just the tip of the tangles. And this is why it's astonishing how much tangle there is psychologically. So that's a little bit on what it means to open to someone's pain. And if you're an empath, then you've already started making your way in. And some people are more naturally gifted for this than others. And 
to tell you the truth, it sucks. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> it really does. And if you open yourself to this, you actually end up walking around feeling exactly what the people around you are feeling. Sometimes even more so than the actual person themselves. And you realize that's possible. You realize that someone can feel your feeling more than you are feeling it. This is the empath is sitting in the room by themselves and someone sad walks in and sits down. And then the empath starts feeling really sad. Or someone walks in and starts telling jokes and being playful and laughing. and, And the empath becomes even more playful and happy and joyful and laughing even more. Now, don't confuse this with expression. Don't confuse this with extroversion or how it's manifested on the other side, on the outside. So just because you're laughing more than someone doesn't mean you're finding the joke more funny. Just because you're crying more doesn't mean you're feeling the sadness more. That's a different thing. Expression and feeling are different things. Expression is just what the body, the body does, the physical body does. Feeling is completely private. It's completely subjective. But if you're an empath, well, you're starting your way in. And you do live more. You are alive more because it's not just the pain that you're sensitive to. It's also the pleasure. And in fact, if you are a deep empath, you're prone to deeper tangles Because there's a pleasure trying to get through to you. And the pleasure becomes more and more tangled, which makes for even more pain. So you have a suffering. So you're prone to depression. You're prone to be depressed. And what I'm illustrating to you is that actually if you're depressed, there's an extraordinary pleasure trying to come through. And that's a gift. That's a rare gift. Because a lot of people live the majority of their lives in complacency, in apathy, in boredom, in just an average sort of -of run-of-the-mill kind of way. And maybe there's a a wisdom in that. I don't want to frown upon those people. Because there is so much pain. There is so much suffering and it hurts and it sucks and it's ugly and there's nothing good about it. Really, there's nothing good about suffering. There's nothing good about pain. And you can say, well, what about the evolutionary take on pain, which is that it saves you from being in trouble. It saves you from not picking up the snake that is poisonous or falling off the edge of a cliff. Well, you can say that, but don't you think we've come a bit further than falling off cliffs and picking up poisonous snakes? Is that that really what we've evolved to? Is that what a human being is? Someone who's just contending with their deep evolutionary past and only living up to that? No. No, we're here for, we are here for pleasure. I don't mean raw, gross, sensory perception pleasure. I mean eternal, spiritual pleasure, existential pleasure. Pleasure of your entire being not just of your physical body. And that's such a big project that, well, you need to know where to start. And the, way, the place to start is with your pain. It's with your suffering. 
and understand that acute feelings always go together. They have a relationship. So you can't you can't directly go for your pleasure. You can't directly go for your good feelings, which is why so many people have it backwards. They're running literally in the opposite direction because they're trying to get pleasure. They're trying to get goodness, just the good stuff. Not knowing that there's an overcorrection just around the corner. So what we're doing is we're flipping it. We're saying, give me the pain first. And I mean that very broadly. It might be something as simple as facing your shadow. If that is simple, I don't know if that's simple, but it might be something more like doing the work. Work first, celebrate later. You reap what you sow, that sort of thing. That's, an, that's another side to this. That's another part of this insight, which is that you do the work first and then things come. And the same is true for your emotional pain. And it's tricky because, I mean, so many, so many psychologists say this, so many even new age spiritual gurus or whoever say this. They say, face your shadow. I'm sure you've heard that before. Face your pain. And it is a general truth. It is a known truth. I hope it's, well, it's at least known to you now. But... The other side of this is that when you do that, the pain really hurts. And it is there. And it sucks. And it goes on and on and on. And you might even be saying, why is this happening? Where's my overcorrection? I thought I'd been through this. I thought I'd already dealt with all this. And yet, no, it's there again. And that's why it's astonishing. And there are so many ways in which it comes up. There are injustices of the world. You might have had an injustice to yourself. There's lust. There's animalistic impulses and sensations. There's this, you, you, we've still got this gross body, like sexual urges, hunger, addiction, unfulfilled desires. How about that for pain? Are you ready to confront that? All the things you wanted which you'll never get, that is a real dark one. That's a real dark one when you really face it because there's so much that you wanted. You wanted it. You wanted, th- you just wanted stuff. You wanted this and that. You wanted all these, you wanted these, oh, I don't even want to, I don't even want to say all the things you wanted. And that includes all the sexual frustration That includes all the kinky sexual fantasies. It includes all the kinky relationships that you might have imagined. This is all just unfulfilled lust. It's unfulfilled desire. And it's impulsive animalistic sensations, which is nothing but the dirtiest and disgusting suffering that you can imagine. That's all it is. It's just it's suffering. And there's self-sabotage. There are things that you go out to do and then you self-sabotage yourself because there's another part of you that doesn't want it. There's confl- conflictions within you. There's disharmony and cognitive dissonance. And there is depression. And cognitive dissonance is a part of depression. It is these two things that are working against each other. 
these two beliefs that can't work together, and yet you have to hold both of those beliefs. And depression is a serious problem. And it's not an easy problem. And there's also grief. You know what grief is? Do you know the astonishing nature of grief? Grief is in a lost loved one. Someone who's died. And that is a kind of death. It is a kind of experiencing death, which in many ways can be worse than death itself, from actually dying. Because when you're connected with someone and you're close with someone, you are having them as a part of you, and you as a part of them. And when they die, it's it's literally like cutting off an arm. That would be the physical level equivalent of it. And yet when they die, it's all emotional and it's all mental level. It's emotional, mental and social. It's interpersonal. And it's like just coming along and cutting off your arm. And that pain is real. Don't let anyone ever say that that's not real. And don't let anyone ever say that that's not a serious problem. Don't let someone say that that's a quick fix. And don't let someone say that, oh, this is a gift to you. Oh, this is a good thing that you can use. And it might be that you're getting that sense from me. That's a contradiction that needs to be resolved. Because on the one hand, we say, okay, pain is good because it's an acute feeling and we want acute feelings in order to be more alive and feel more. But on the other hand, our highest vision is to have only pleasure. So that's a tricky one that you need to work out. That is a contradiction. Well, it's more paradoxical rather than a contradiction. And there is also outrage. And this is more prevalent perhaps in recent times. But there is a culture of people, a whole collection of people who have outrage within them. And you need to understand that this only comes from a place of pain. It only comes from a place of suffering. And it's personal, and it's local, and it's in individuals. So when we talk about outrage culture, it's very easy to forget that actually it's not outrage culture, it's individuals that have pain and suffering. And this is the best response they can come up with to that feeling. And there is ignorance. And that perhaps is, well, one of the most astonishing things. If that's not astonishing to you, nothing is. How much ignorance there is, is astonishing. And you'd think people would know better You'd think people would learn. But you have to understand that that attitude is still an isolated occurrence. It's still just a small thing. Because you can see this another way. You can say, do you think smart people are sitting around talking about how much ignorance there is? You think smart people will sit around and talk about how dumb other people are? No, of course not. Of course, the thing is to recognize the issues, recognize the ignorance, and get on with explaining it 
Get on with fixing it. Get on with solving the world's problems. Get on with solving your personal problems. And so on. And in that case, in that little place, astonishment isn't a an awe. It's not a, whoa, I'm overwhelmed by the astonishing ignorance of people. Because that's too arresting. No, it's more of a general awareness. It's an understanding. It's a peaceful, calm, grounded understanding. It's an awareness of the pain, the suffering, the hurt, the grief, the injustice, the impulsive animalistic sensations, the ignorance, and all of that, and then saying, well, let's get on with it. I'm not going to allow my astonishment to carry me away. I'm not going to allow my outrage to cause me to be more of a problem. I'm not going to add to the mess. I'm actually going to start to see, well, how do I set things right? So that would be an application of this word astonishment which can also be applied to the other things that we've talked about that are astonishing. We could separate this into two things, which is one, the initial realization and the moment of awe, which is astonishing. And that's the shock kind of astonishing, which is you encounter something, you encounter ignorance or you encounter pain whether it's within yourself or within someone else or in the world. And then there's the initial astonishment. And that is awe, that is shock, that is an acute feeling. But then the second part of it is, okay, I've had that feeling, now I calm down from it. And I actually integrate that. I actually try and understand how that feeling fits in with what I'm thinking, with what I'm doing, with what I'm working on. And I really start to have it work out for me. I have to make, make it flow a little bit more. And that would be something that you can apply to all kinds of astonishment. Because astonishment can be something that you just want a quick fix on. It can be something that isn't really actually getting you somewhere. It's almost like it's just the attitude of, oh, I just want pleasure. I just want to feel good. So you never turn towards the pain. You never turn towards the dark side. You never look at the shadow. So that's some thoughts from today on how astonishing pain is. And the last thing I'll say is just to reiterate what I said at the start, which is that there is a way out. And I say that there's a way out of pain with a deep knowledge and experience of how much there is. Which is why I feel that it's truly astonishing that there is a way out. And it might be one of the most astonishing things that I've found. And that's all I have to say for now.